Uh, join me in Psalms chapter 42 in your Bibles tonight. Um, and as we uh, just continue in the Word of God tonight, I'm just thankful for uh, the truth of God's Word, the power of God's Word in our life, and that it is able uh, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And we think about who God is, uh, and He is faithful, and He is consistent, and we're thankful that we can put our trust in Him. Now, without a doubt, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about depression tonight as we look at Psalms 42. And in this passage, we're going to find a, uh, that David is really going through a time of trial in his life. And, and as, we, as we see this, uh, let me just mention a couple of things. Depression can really have a tendency to dominate uh, the lives of many people. In fact, there are probably tens of millions of people around the world that suffer with depression. And some people are hit by an episode or an event or, or something uh, that causes this, uh, and, but they never work through it. And so others are prolonged sufferers. And, and if you've ever had to deal with it, you know uh, that it can be very, very uh, monstrous in your life. Now, whether that's discouragement, whether that's depression, uh, we're going to look at some of, the, uh, some of the characteristics of it tonight. But just then we want to look at, at the end, uh, some things that will help you from a biblical standpoint. But let me just say that depression is complex, uh, and it can have a host of uh, contributing causes. And I'm obviously not a doctor, and I don't claim to be an expert on any of the rare psychological contributors to this depression. But in, and there are some cases, though, uh, that where we see that it's the spiritual things in a person's life that are the contributors to the depression. And that's what we're going to work on tonight and out of this text in Psalm 42. And so Psalm 42 and verse 1 says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for thee, O God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat night and day, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the uh, uh, Hermonites, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouse. All thy ways and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto God, uh, unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me. Why they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Let's stop here together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, beautiful psalm that's written and recorded for us. Lord, obviously a psalm that was born out of, um, Lord, a deep agony of spirit, but a, a psalm that also reveals the source of our hope, and that is in you. And Lord, I just pray that if there's any in our church family that's going through a time uh, period of discouragement or, or even depression, Lord, that you would allow them, Lord, to find uh, help, solace, hope through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for the, the, uh, 
the, just the scripture and the power of it. And so help us tonight as we look at it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see in this text, this psalmist here, as he writes this, it's evident that no one is immune to difficulties in life, right? We're all going to go through trials. We're all going to go through times where uh, things are, are tough, and, and that's, and that's, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You can be young. You can be older. Uh, it's inevitable. We're going to find problems. And let me just say, pastors or missionaries are not exempt from this uh, truth as well. Uh, the reality is, is that each of us are going to face trials because life is, is full of trials. Sometimes God allows those to come so that we can draw closer to Him. Sometimes they're there because of sin uh, or whatever reason. But, but regardless, we see that God here uh, has laid out for us in Psalms 42 uh, uh, some principles that we can apply in our life if we're going through a season of, of depression or discouragement in our life. And we're going to look at uh, what is, which is which. And so as we look at this, uh, let me just encourage you here that there are normal seasons maybe of discouragement that we go through. If you find yourself in a season of discouragement, you know, uh, let me just encourage you to work through that. Uh, you know, as a, as, a, as a pastor, I want to keep my heart in check uh, so that I don't allow seasons of discouragement uh, to lead, uh, lead me in a wrong path. I don't want them to affect my ability to lead others as well. And so, uh, so I want to work through that in a biblical way. Uh, I don't want myself to sink into a, a pit of spiritual depression. And so when I, if I do that, I'm not just hurting myself, I'm hurting those around me. And that's true no matter if you're a pastor or if you're a mom or a dad or grandmother or grandfather. Listen, if you're going through a season of discouragement, I encourage you to work through this. Let's look at a couple of things. In, in 1 Kings chapter number 18, would you look there with me? We're going to look at first the uh, Elijah complex, uh, if you will. And, and probably I, I know that I have shared from this passage extensively before. We're just going to hit some highlights here right now. Elijah kind of saw himself as a victim uh, of his circumstances. And if you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, and you can look through that chapter, and you'll find Elijah uh, stood on the top of Mount Carmel. And man, he preached, uh, uh, and well, excuse me, he, he prayed, and there was fire that came down from heaven. And uh, it consumed the sacrifice and the water that was poured over the sacrifice. And we see that prayer in verse number 37. Uh, and then verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And so obviously this is a very high moment in Elijah's life and his ministry as he's there, these 450 prophets of Baal have tried to call down fire, and they spent all day uh, in this effort to bring fire down from heaven from their false god, and they couldn't do it. They cut themselves, they danced in, uh, around, and, and it was just a fruitless effort because Baal is not a god. Then Elijah comes up, and he repairs the altar of the Lord. Amen. Isn't that significant? And then he uh, lays the offering on the altar, and then he digs a trench, and he says, go get me some water. Not just a little bit, but they pour tons of water on this offering in a season of drought, by the way. And then he prayed a short prayer, and God brought fire down, and people said, the Lord, He is the God. Man, what a tremendous experience for him. And then the following verses we read where he commanded, and those 450 prophets of Baal were killed. And people listened to him, and they obeyed him, and they went out and they killed these 450 prophets of Baal. What a glorious day. Boy, that's like, you know, this, it's like one of your best Sundays as a pastor, you know. Man, 20 people got saved in church on Sunday. Watch out, because Monday's coming. And his Monday's in chapter 19. 
It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets of the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She threatened him, Elijah, and Elijah's first response was, Run. I mean, that's what he did. Here's, here he just saw God bring fire down from heaven and, and, and uh, consume this, all, this uh, offering and the, and the water that was poured on it. And this one little woman, uh, and I, I just didn't picture her as this short little woman but full of spit and vinegar. You know what I mean? No offense to short women in here. But Jezebel was just one of those ladies that was just a, just a, a mover and a shaker in many ways. And she shook Elijah to his core. And if you read in the in following verses, in verse number 4, you see he began to run, and he ran from Jezebel and the threat. And he got alone, in verse 4, we see, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. What an incredible pendulum swing in this man's life. To go from this mountaintop experience on Carmel to down in the valley where he's sitting under a juniper tree saying, God, it's enough. Take away my life. I'm done. And he became what uh, we often call a victim in this situation. And he saw himself as a victim. And so as a result, he was easily swayed by the circumstances around him. Let me ask you this. How do you handle life when that promotion didn't come? How do you handle life when the dog bit you at the door after you got turned down from the emotion and from the promotion? How do you handle your life when you got your Edward Jones investment and your investments tanked instead of went up? How do you handle those things? And then you go to seek solace in the Bible. You open up your Bible reading calendar and it says 1 Chronicles chapter number 1. If you know what that is, it's a list of genealogies. And you're like, what in the world, God, are you trying to do to me here? And you feel abandoned, you feel alone, just like Elijah felt in this situation. You think, man, I cannot go forward any longer. It can be easy to fall in the same trap that Elijah fell into and following all of these emotional disappointments and the distractions. And it's easy for us to be able to say, nothing in my life is working out. Why is all this happening to me? It becomes, I am a victim of all of this stuff. That, be, that, that leads, obviously, to a pity party. We wallow in self-despair. But I want to remind you of an important truth that Jesus Christ shared in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. He says, that, uh, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Listen, everyone has problems in life. Everyone has good days and bad days. And if you're walking through a season or, or a problem today, the chance is someone else in this room has already been there. And that's why I love the church family. I love that we get to come to church and we get to pray with one another, encourage one another. And Galatians 6.2 reminds us, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we can come along beside each other and help each other through this season and, and be a blessing and encouragement to each other. And so what do we, what do, we do in this situation? Psalms 30, 42 provides some helpful counsel if you're going through a season like this. It's a passage that was most likely written by David while he was in exile. Either he was in Syria or Iraq or Babylon. And no one can know exactly for sure where he was at this problem, what exactly problem he was facing. But it's without a doubt, it was a season where he felt alone and he often asked, and it was even his enemies asked him, where is thy God? You ever asked, had someone mock you for your faith? 
And here the, were, these guys were in his lowest of his of valleys. And they said, David, you look terrible. Your God has forsaken you. Where is he now? Look at verse number 5. Even, and he even writes here, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? And he answers, Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David felt the depths of his discouragement to the point that he asked God, Why have you forsaken me in the midst of this? It's almost as if in, in this situation, depression had already set in and he felt totally abandoned even by God. Not only were his enemies about him, but he was abandoned in this situation. And so let me just take a moment here. Let's, let's talk about what it is. What is depression? To understand what it is, it's important to understand what it's not. Uh, depression is not merely a disappointment. It's not just uh, a discouragement or just a slight case of the blues. Those things are common experiences that everyone has. The disciples who fished for a living had bad days. Think about this if you can. They didn't, uh, there's, there's bad days where they didn't catch much fish. And meager catches equaled uh, uh, that, that, that their life was imperiled. Their livelihood was in danger. Uh, and so it brought oftentimes discouragement or depression. The Apostle Paul understood this. I love what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. He says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Listen, he stated that although he was facing great trials, he was determined to keep the trials from defeating him. Listen, he, he kept his eyes upon the Lord in all of this. And that's what the psalmist keeps rep, uh, reminding himself of. Listen, why are you cast down? Hope in God. Why are you so discouraged? Why do you feel like you're overwhelmed? Why does your heart feel like it's, it just can't go on anymore? And he says, hope thou in God. What a great reminder. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that truth too. Sometimes when we're going through a season like this, it's important for us to remind her, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I was just speaking with someone even this week and they were sharing with me about some of their financial problems and, and I just reminded this individual, I said, listen, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. These things are small. You're not the first person to go through these things and you won't be the last. So let's look at Christ's example because obviously he is our greatest example. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. When Jesus was about to heal uh, the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees were looking for an opportunity to accuse him. And it says, And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the, man, unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And if we look at this and other stories, you see that Jesus was often grieved by the hardness of people's hearts. Uh, he was, he, you know, just looking around, he was saddened by their lack of faith. He was angered even by their irreverence. We saw that in the temple as he uh, cleaned the temple out. He was scorned, he was accused, he was conspired against. But with all of those discouragements he faced on this earth, and he is the perfect example, we never saw that he became depressed because depression for him was not an option. Why? Because depression wasn't a mental Ill illness. Jay Adams, who is a professional Christian counselor, he wrote this in his book, The Christian Counselor's Manual, and I quote, Depression is not inevitable, something that simply happens and cannot be avoided, nor is it ever so far gone that depression cannot be counteracted. The cycle can always be reversed at any point by a biblical action in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The hope for depressed persons, as elsewhere, lies in this. The depression is the result of the counselee's sin. If depression were some strange, unaccountable malady that has over, uh, overcome him, for which he is not responsible, and consequently about which he can do nothing, hope would evaporate. The fact is uh, that though he may uh, not be responsible for the initial problem, like a physical illness or a bad turn in his financial picture, he is responsible for handling this initial problem God's way. But he hasn't, but instead, of, but instead has sinfully reacted to the problem like neglecting his duties, becoming resentful, complaining in self-pity. As a result of this reaction, he has become depressed. Amen. That is good. And that's, you know, and I appreciate this uh, Jay Adams and what he wrote there. Depression is described often by people as a spirit of gloom or heaviness that lingers on and on and hovering like a dark cloud. And people who give these feelings, give in to these feelings, are cons uh, consistently dis uh, despondent because they, had, they believe they've lost control in a number of areas in their life. And eventually those feelings of gloom affect every area of their life, making that depressed person dysfunctional at home, in the office, and with others in the community. He believes he has no worth because even the routine responsibilities of life are just too difficult to perform. So I'm going to look, talk about just a few symptoms very quickly of depression uh, and, and you can see this in people maybe that you love, and I just share these with you to say, hey, if you see these, be an encouragement to these people around you uh, to, uh, to, with the Word of God. Some of the principles we'll lay out here in the, in the later in the, in the message. First off, sometimes it can be a symptom is overwhelming sadness or even tears. They'll cry and they don't know why they're crying. Uh, this is often a self-absorption or self-pity is the number one problem of a person like this. They look inward and people, and, and as we do so, people become compl uh, plagued with thoughts like, I can't believe they would do that to me. I can't believe they fired me. I can't believe they hurt me that way. Notice the focus is all on self. The second symptom is an inability to function. I failed at this. I failed at that. So why even go on anymore? So what starts out maybe as a sense of failure may snowball into a complete loss of interest. And it frustrates in, in the endeavors a person might otherwise attempt. And so uh, as a result, this uh, depressed person often loses interesting interest in putting forth any effort, whether it be at his job, at his home, uh, in his, even his personal hygiene. You can see that slack off. And, and eventually it just says, uh, their, their life says, I, I don't care. The next one is disorderliness. Think about a person who's extremely neat. Maybe they, at one point, were very organized, very neat. And, uh, and there are times where, where my office goes through different levels of orderliness. Can I get an amen to that? And there's times where you walk in my office and you see the desk and it looks like nobody works there. And then there's times where it's piled. Uh, and then there's times where I shove those piles. I love what Pastor Tolbert, every time he went on a on vacation, I'd go in his office and his desk was piled with stuff. And just before he left, he'd take everything off the piles and he'd put it in a box and he'd put it in his closet. So his desk was nice and clean when he left. I said, I like that, Pastor. I said, now I have a place to put my stuff when you're gone. Or put, you know, the mail and stuff while he was gone. So if a person is normally neat, but they show maybe some disarray in their life, maybe they're manifesting, and this could be a warning sign of depression. Uh, and so watch out for that. There could be a loss of appetite aside from... Uh, 
aside from any physical ailment. I think there's a typo there, so forgive me there. So the Bible records examples of such people, like 1 Samuel 1.8, when Hannah came and she sought the Lord and she was poured out her heart on the altar because she wanted a child and she was so depressed over her barrenness that she refused to eat. Even her husband's expressions of deep love couldn't prevail over her profound sadness. This was an instant where, where it was an evidence of some depression in her life. The fifth one is an uncharacteristic abusive behavior. So sometimes people become abusive verbally or even physically, uh, and both behaviors uh, can take place when people become exasperated with the problems and frustrations that they take it out on others around them. And so uh, this can be easy uh, to manifest itself. And so these are some, just some basic characteristics I just want to share with you uh, this evening. But let's look at the root of the problem uh, of what's going on here. So uh, of all of this, you know, the, the reality is there's some hard knocks in life, but sometimes there's, sometimes, some knocks feel more like a crushing blow of a sledgehammer. Uh, but let's talk about some of these. These are w w what I would like to say maybe a catalyst or something that, uh, that can oftentimes lead into uh, feelings of victimhood or feelings of uh, depression. One, rejection. This is an, can be an overwhelming flow for people. You know, God created us to be social people. Uh, I've always teased my wife. I said, if it wasn't for the ministry and it wasn't for, uh, for being married and having a family, I could live in the woods in the middle of nowhere and talk to no one and be perfectly happy. But the reality is I don't think any of us could because God's created us to be around people. And so uh, there's a basic need for that in our life. And rejection it can be especially cruel and difficult to bear. This is especially so if you have teenagers. And if they're going through rejection and they feel rejected, then they really need you as a parent to love on them and encourage them. Bullying, uh, you know, that's a big, big word today, bullying. And I remember being bullied as a kid, but I don't remember me and making a big deal out of it. Uh, but everybody talks about it today. But it seriously is a form of rejection that can cause problems for kids today. But that's not the only form of rejection. Sometimes in the parent-child relationship, uh, a child rejects a parent or parent uh, rejects their child and it can do uh, some serious harm. A child, uh, you know, they carry those deep wounds into adulthood. Or the husband-wife relationship is another very intimate relationship that if there's rejection in that relationship, then that can affect greatly uh, the health of, of the other. So not just rejection, the second uh, point is failing to achieve a goal. So think about this. Maybe there's a student that is striving hard to make an athletic team, or maybe they really want to make the cheerleading squad, or, or maybe they just want to be accepted into this university uh, that where their parents or their grandparents went, uh, but they just can't. They can't, can't make it. Uh, and so uh, let me just mention that sometimes failing to achieve this goal can uh, cause people to uh, to fall uh, prey to, uh, to depression. Some, uh, the next one is, the third one is enduring and severe criticism. Write this down in your notes. I will be criticized in life. Every one of us. You should, you should try being a pastor for a while. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. It's always wrong. It just, you just you can't please everybody. And, uh, and I, I remember last year we were going through all of the COVID trials and, and all of those things. And, and I thought, man, it doesn't matter what we do. If we close church, I'm going to make people mad. If we keep church open, I'm going to make people mad. If we don't do this, we're going to make it. I just remember thinking, Lord, just lead me. And that's the answer. It can't be about what other people worry about. It's got to be worry about, worry about God. 
There could be long-term illness. And this is very serious. Many of you, even in this room, deal with long-term illness. When we deal with the frailty of these human bodies, severe pain over an extended period of time, it can be very grueling. And it can be very, very difficult uh, for people. And so this is something that is, can be a devastating blow to people. The, the, the next one is a death of a loved one. This is probably the, one of the most devastating of the events. And it's, very, uh, it's one of those that are very, very obvious. Well, uh, and we, we watched uh, Hoarding. Anybody ever watch that show Hoarding? Hoarders or whatever it's called. We watched it like one time. I was so grossed out. I was like, oh my goodness. I felt super clean after that point. But, um, but they say a lot of times that those people were triggered by the death of a loved one. And, and we often associate this maybe with the death of a husband or wife, but this can also be the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, and people just don't know how to deal with that pain and deal with that in their life. The next one is personal sin. Now, we don't want to talk about this in today's society. Uh, a lot of things that we deal with, we don't want to talk about the fact that sin can cause depression. Uh, matter of fact, let's look at a couple of examples in our Bible. 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse number 4. This was King Ahab and his example. Uh, because when we allow sin in our life that's unrepented of and we're not dealing with it, it can become especially problematic. And Ahab was one of those uh, that was not willing to deal with his sin. In verse, uh, 1 Kings 21, 4 it says, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. Ahab reminds me of a two-year-old brat on the floor, pounding his fists, maybe on his bed, saying, I want that land. Ahab had symptoms of maybe some classic depression going on here. There was a heaviness, there was an isolation, there was a loss of appetite, but his was a result of sin. It was the sin of discontent, the, the sin of greed, the sin of anger toward God, all of those things. Another example is Jonah, Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 2. And if we look here, it says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and, and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. You know, if it's easy to read through this book and to find that Jonah was full of self-pity, wasn't it? That was the root of his depression. And we saw that, that even if you take more time and read through the rest of this chapter, you're going to find that Jonah does not end well. The book of Jonah doesn't end well. It's a very sad chapter. We taught through it when I was uh, in, in the college director, and I just remember thinking, man, this is a, kind of a, a sad, more, uh, morbid ending. And it was all because he wouldn't deal with his sin. Recognizing sin as the root of the problem can be difficult. We don't want to admit it. We live in a society that points to others first, that says, listen, uh, these are other people, that's their problem, I want to uh, shift to blame. But the reality is, if you're depressed, sometimes it can be nothing more, more than just a mishandled uh, sin in your life that you've never dealt with. You, you might say, well, I feel this way because I lost my mother. Well, that, that is true. The loss can cause grief and pain. But when it's prolonged and incapacitating sadness, there is an inward focus, a lack of faith, and an unbiblical perspective on life and on God Himself. So let's look at dealing with depression biblically. And we're going to spend a little bit of time more focused on Psalms 42. A lot of prelude to get to this right here. Psalms 42 is a fantastic place. 
uh, to be in your Bible. Uh, and let me just uh, mention, too, that uh, when there's uh, obviously the, the physical problem and a quantifiable physical problem of depression, there's a chemical imbalance as that's diagnosed by a physician, then it's wise to consider his advice. At the same time, you should consult with your pastor. And because oftentimes the physical problem is not the root of the problem, it's a spiritual problem. And so that's what we're going to deal with here uh, as we look at this. And so, um, and so we can get a little encouragement here. And so first off, uh, look in verse number one. We're going to read through the first few verses here. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat night and day, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Let me just say, the first thing that I see here is the priority of establishing a right relationship with the Lord. And when David expressed the sentiment in verse number 5, Why art thou cast down? Uh, he follows up with this statement, Hope thou in God. Your hope for a right relationship must be in the right place, or in this case, in the right person, which is Jesus Christ. Only trusting Christ as your personal Savior can re reconcile the broken relationship that is between you and God, which is a source of depression. When people are, are dis depressed, oftentimes it's because they realize that there is a broken, a schism in their relationship with Him and God. And so when you come to know Him as your Savior, uh, you will rec realize that you can trust Him uh, and you can trust Him with your life and then you will truly be able to hope in Him to help you overcome depression. The second thing is a little bit past just a right relationship through salvation. It's acknowledge the Lord as God, as the God of your life. Now think about this in verse number 8 with me as he goes on. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and from the Hermonites, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep the noise of thy water spites. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. He just is feeling overwhelmed by all of this grief. In verse 8 he says, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. Listen, as he came into this, he said, David recognized that he must come to the Lord because when his grief was overwhelming, I think about that old song, It Is Well With My Soul. And he writes um, in, in that song, when uh, billows like sea billows roll, when, when sorrows like sea billows roll. I'm going to mess it up, so I'm going to pull it open uh, in the songbook here. He had suffered greatly. Uh, by all that had gone on in his life. And he says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How could he come to that conclusion? Because he had heard the voice of David saying, Hope thou in God. He'd heard the prayer of David in verse number 8, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the nighttime. I love the fact that he talks about the day and the night. In the night his song shall be with me. He says, I'm never abandoned. There's never a time or a moment in the day where God's abandoned me and he continues to be with me. To overcome depression, you must and I must do the same. Don't allow circumstances to dictate how you're going to live, but instead, 
said, there are going to be many times when you may not feel like getting up or going to work or doing these things or going to school or even asking forgiveness uh, from someone you've wronged. You may not feel like doing the right thing, but you cannot allow your feelings to control you. And, let me, uh, and sometimes when we allow our feelings to control you, then we're not allowing God to control us. When emotions fight for control in your life, you must deal with them as you must de deal with any other sin. Are emotions bad? No, I love to be joyful. But they can be used bad. And when they're in control, then God's not in control. And so let God be the source of your control. As he says, yet the Lord will command. That is that control, that one that oversees, the one that is able to, to encourage in the midst of that. Often the root of the problem here is bitterness toward another person. When, uh, and when uh, emotions fight for control in your life, you've got to deal with them. And the, I, I, I'm just, I realize right now that our world would do a lot of good by coming to Ephesians chapter 4 and just reading and applying Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. What a change that would make in our lives. That's allowing God to be God. Who is God of your life? The third thing, allow God to restructure your way of thinking. Ephesians 4, 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the way that you think about things and the way that you approach life circumstances are keys to overcoming depression. I think I've shared this before, but I love this story about a, a little boy uh, who was playing in a little league team, and, and bo both the teams were going, uh, were, were playing each other, and his neighbor walked by, and he stopped by the fence, and he said, well, little Johnny, how's it going? And he says, well, pretty good. He, he said, well, what's the score? He said, well, it's 18 to 0, and they're up. He says, how can you say it's going pretty good? And we said, well, it's easy. We haven't been up to bat yet. You know, we would look at that and say, this, this game's shot, man. There is no way they can come back from an 18-0, to zero, uh, you know, uh, victory there or, or lead there. There's no way that they could win this game. But he had a great optimistic viewpoint. Man, he said, we've still got a chance. Uh, you know, there's still a chance in this. And so maybe you've had a, a really pessimistic view, but with God's help, you can change the way you think. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And so changing your thinking happens as you fill your mind with the Word of God. And you focus your thoughts on the Lord and His loving kindness as the psalmist confesses here in verse number 6 that it just, oh my God, my soul is cast down, therefore I will remember thee from the land of Jordan. He says, I'm not going to forget you. I'm going to think about you. You're going to consistently be in my thoughts. You're going to consistently uh, dominate my thinking in everything that I do. And when you find yourself returning to negative thoughts, confess your thoughts. I love to share with people Philippians 4, 8, and I call it the mind filter. And I don't know if that's original with me. I've been talking it, saying, calling it that for so long, I don't even know where I got it. But I will say that it's a great place if you're struggling with the things that you think on. Because Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise... He says, think on these things. What are you allowing in your life? 
The next thing is focus your thoughts on others. And this is, this is very good because oftentimes depression is a selfish, uh, a selfish problem. Uh, the reason many people get down and eventually get depressed is because their focus is on the wrong person, namely themselves. And they're always thinking about uh, what's happening to them as opposed to what they can do to help others. It's an inward focus, and there's feelings of gloom and despondency because all they see is me, myself, and I. And if you've ever had a, 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 just a, a bad day, uh, a quick antidote for that is to go minister to someone else. Uh, and so I love this acrostic uh, about joy. Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Because when that's your mentality, and when we say, Lord, I, I want to put you above everything else, I want to serve those around me, and I know you'll take care of, of all of my needs, then I believe God will bless it. All right, so the next one is change your attitude from one of negativity to one of praise. You know, there's something powerful, powerful about praise. You ever think about that? When we sing, I, I know some of you come in and you just kind of sing. But I tell you, when we come together and we sing as a church, there's something powerful about lifting our voice in praise to God. I didn't know the last song very well, Breathe on Me, uh, Brother David. I didn't know that very well. About every week you have something I'm like, I didn't know that well. But, uh, but I enjoyed that. And I thought, man, what a great prayer in preparation for tonight. And, and I love in verse number 11, as he comes to this point, and he says, and he asked the same question he did before. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted? He says, hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. He says, this is, this is what I've got to do. I'm going to continually praise the Lord. You know, we can rejoice in every aspect in our life. You know, the Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. He says, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, God doesn't force you to do it, but He does tell you that that's His desire for you. And so the next time uh, that you're going through a difficulty, instead of complaining, say, you wouldn't believe today, Kristen, what great things happened to me. I had a flat tire on the side of the road when I was changing that tire. You wouldn't believe someone drove by and they splashed water all over my brand new suit. It was such a great, great thing. I got to be a good witness to people around me. And you're thinking, how is that good? I don't know either, but you've got to give thanks. And sometimes there's been times where I've prayed and said, Lord, I don't know how to give thanks in this, but help me to be thankful. And that's okay. God's, God doesn't expect you to be able to have all the answers. But when you change your attitude to one of praise, I promise you that your outlook will change as well. I read this story about two shoe salesmen. And they went to this island and there was 10,000 people on this island and not one of them wore, wore a pair of shoes. And so the first shoe salesman, he got on the phone, he called his boss and said, Boss, this is a waste of our time. People on this island don't even wear shoes. I said, I'm coming home. The next salesman looked at, the, uh, at everything that's gone on and says, You wouldn't believe, he called his boss and said, You wouldn't believe the opportunity here. I need 10,000 pairs of shoes. The market's wide open. There's no one here. No one even has a pair of shoes. Send me the shoes. Man, what a difference those two guys made. One guy didn't share one pair of shoes. The other guy probably sold 10,000 pairs of shoes with that attitude. Let your attitude be one of praise. How can we praise? Let me remind you of Romans 8, 28. And we know. Do you see that word? Not we think, we hope. He says, and we know that all things work together for bad. It says good, doesn't it? 
for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And you may say, Pastor, how in the world is this good in my life? And I will be honest, there are times where I have to say, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I'm not God. And I can't see the end from the beginning like He can. But I know His promise is, is that when I go through this, it's for my good. The next one, and, I, and we're coming, this is the last one tonight. Develop a biblical perspective of God. So this means understanding His mercy and His loving kindness toward you. You see, oftentimes the problem really isn't in anything other than we don't know God. We don't know Him like God intends for us to know Him. We don't know that He loves us. We don't know that uh, He is all-powerful. We don't know that He is the one that says, Come unto me, all you that, are la- that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We don't know that He's the God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We don't know that He's the one that wrote and, 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 uh, through Jeremiah, uh, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We don't know God because we don't take time to read His Word. And so it's so important for us to be able to say, and, and I'm preaching to a Wednesday night crowd, so forgive me. But sometimes we've, we neglect church or we neglect His Word. And this last year, as we've gone through this time where, where we've had people not be connected, it has created more problems because people have lost a proper perspective of who God is. Don't forget who God is. Because when, you're, when you have a big God, you've got small problems. And when you've got uh, big problems, you've got a small God. Your problems will not seem like problems when you understand that God is taking the bad things that Satan is using to destroy you and he's turning them into good things that he can use to build you. So how do you, do, how do you develop this perspective? You spend time with him. Get in His Word. Come to church. Be on your knees in prayer. Uh, get around godly people who've been through things like you have. Get to know God. Learn to love Him. And I promise you that as you do so, and you turn your eyes upon Jesus, then like the old song says, the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The reality is we're all going to face problems, aren't we? Where there's, some, there's going to be some negative thoughts, there's going to be some feelings, and then none of these things are going to make our problems disappear. And when we give in to those, they're only going to make matters worse. But instead of going and wallowing in that, instead of staying in a, a past that's dominated by gloom and despair, we must seek out the one that offers everlasting hope. And that hope is found in our wonderful and loving God. So seek Him diligently. Seek Him daily. He is the one. Just as the psalmist said, hope thou in God.